Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, uh, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. Really excited that you are here today, and I'm really proud of so many of you being here. And thanks for getting in your boats and your canoes and getting here today in this crazy rain that we have in the middle of December. Uh, and we are kicking off this series called Great expectations, and it is a Christmas series, and we're focused on, we're going to be focused on the Advent, the the coming of Christ, as we just sang about uh, for the next four weeks, and then this series is going to include a fifth message, which will be on Christmas Eve, and um, so I'm very excited uh, about this. You know, it's interesting, really kind of woven into the fabric of our Christmas season is always uh, Charles Dickens and the classic A Christmas Carol. And uh, if you've read it, and I know you've seen it because it's been made and remade as a movie many, many different times, and it's on theater and that sort of thing. And it's really kind of become, you know, part and parcel of our Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge, Tiny Tim, you know, all the different, all the different ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and uh, the Christmas to come, Bob Cratchit, uh, Jacob Marley, and we know so many of these characters, and I know some of you scholarly people out there are going, yeah, but wait a minute, the series is called Great Expectations, and that's not the same thing. I know that, okay? I read a book or two in my time. So, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my mom loved Charles Dickens, and uh, he wrote a lot of other books other than A Christmas Carol, and one of them was Great Expectations. And his books were often written about the industrial age, the rise of the industrial age in, in London. And kind of this, you know, this gap between the haves and the have-nots and life in this new industrial culture. And, and Great Expectations is a, a book, I think I read it when I was in 10th grade, maybe 11th grade. And um, it's a book that's written about this character by the name of Pip, and Pip is an orphan, and he's adopted, and he's given so many of the great things of life, so many, as Dickens says, great expectations, and um, spoiler alert, at the end, he loses everything. Sorry if I just blew it all for you. You're like, I can't read the book now. So uh, anyway, he loses everything. But Dickens always had this redeeming value in a lot of his works, didn't he? He had this redeeming value, and Pip maintains his happiness through it all. We as Christ followers would call it joy. He maintains his joy. He keeps his joy, or he gets back his joy. And I, I wonder about this idea of joy and expectations as Christ followers. I think we have a lot of things in our life that we want from life. We have a lot of things that we desire, kind of things that we say, you know, I want what I want, and I'm going to do everything I can to get what I want. And I think this idea of expectations is probably highlighted at Christmas more than it is any other time of the year. Would you agree with that? I mean, this is the time of year that we have great expectations about life, about family. It's December the 2nd, and we have these, these dreams and these visions about what 
the Christmas season is going to be like, what Advent is going to be like, what it's going to be like the week of Christmas when we have family in town or when we go to someone's house and we're together with them. We have these expectations during Christmas and it just kind of highlights human nature and it kind of highlights really what happens when life fails to meet the expectations that we have. Man, my parents, they made a, a big deal out of Christmas morning. And other than the fact that when I was really young, um, they had me and my sister, they forced us before we opened the first present, I've probably told the story before, they forced us to act out the Christmas story on the, like, on the fireplace, like in front of the fireplace right there. And like I was hoping that there would be a fire in the fireplace because that meant it was hot and it would be very fast and we'd get right to the presents. But other than that, Christmas morning was great around my house. And my sister and I, we'd wake up ridiculously early. And in my house, my mom and dad, my dad still does this. He's 70. I think he's going to be 73 this year. Um, He still gets up at like 4 a.m. So like us getting up early wasn't a problem for him. In my house, it's a problem. My kids get up early because their parents are asleep (laughs) on Christmas morning. But we got up early. My sister and I, we'd rush downstairs, and um, we'd be so excited to dive into that first present. And I remember one year, and I can't remember exactly how old I was. I was probably, like, in middle school. And I was excited because, like, you know, maybe it was middle school. Now I'm thinking it's probably, like, late, like, elementary school because I was excited about some of the toys that I had asked for and some of the things that I wanted. And among those was anything football, man. I loved the NFL. I, I was an Atlanta Falcons fan, and uh, you know I loved um, college football, and I think I asked for something that was Georgia Bulldogs related. Uh, just give me a minute. I'm still a Georgia fan, so I needed a minute there. So anyway, I, like, I was really excited to get it, and I think that might have been the year that I asked for a bike, uh, and I was really excited, and I remember the first present that I opened. I dove into it. I opened the first president, president, not president, uh, the first president, present, and it was a brown belt. Brown belt. And I remember for a few minutes sitting there kind of going, really? This is my first present, a belt. I get to use this on Sunday at church and during the week at school. This is of no useful value to me whatsoever other than church and school. This isn't a present. This is something you get in August at the beginning of the school year. And I remember thinking at some point in time in my adult life, if I had been my adult self back then, I would have thought, Show a little effort next year, mom and dad, all right? And so, yes, spoiled beyond belief, but anyway, and, but, but the Christmas got a little bit better. It got a little bit better, but I remember that feeling of diving in and going, this is not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. Life is full of this is not what I wanted. This is not what I dreamed of. This is not what I asked for. This is not what I expected. This is not what I've invested. What I'm producing is not equal to what I thought when I put the investment in. Life is full of great expectations that really don't pan out. So in this series, we're going to be taking a look at some of those expectations that we have. um, Things really related to getting the win, success, and achievement next week. In a few weeks, we'll look at when life doesn't pan out with relationships that we have and the expectations that we have of others. That's a big one, isn't it? 
We're going to be taking a look at what happens when we're disappointed with the expectations that we have from life itself and from the world when, when we want peace and justice and we see no peace and justice. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about what happens when we want to lead God or we want to be led by God into the future and we just don't understand what that means. Because when we face disappointment in life, it can lead to frustration It can lead to irritation. It can lead to us being angry. And sometimes it can even lead down the road towards discouragement, severe disappointment, and even depression. And in the midst of this gap that we often find between what we expected and what life kind of gives us, in between that gap is this this feeling of, man, somehow... I I am missing something. Where is God in all of this? And today what I want to do is talk about, I think, probably one of the most foundational things, and that is, is there's a huge, listen to this, there's a huge spiritual matter that's revealed in our response when we don't get what we want. And I think what's revealed in the response when we don't get what we want is this idea of alignment with God. This idea of being aligned with him. And I talk about alignment a lot, but I want to talk today about what happens when we're not aligned with God. And three things that I think that we can look at that will help us to be aligned with Jesus. Uh, many of you know I play golf. I, uh, I got here early this morning and I forgot to bring a golf club. And I asked Sean to bring my seven iron. And he goes, you want me to bring the whole bag? I'm like, no, just bring my seven iron, buddy. How many of you play golf? It's a great day for golf, isn't it? For those of you who don't play golf and you've always wondered when you watch TV, why in the world these guys that are dressed in these yuppie-looking outfits uh, will stand behind their golf ball for minutes, it seems like, and look out into the distance. Like, what are they doing? They're trying to figure out the purpose of life right there. I mean, they're there sometimes, it seems like, for a long time. And they're looking out, and they look down at the ball, and they might even go down and grab some grass and throw it up in the air and see which way the wind's blowing right. Our golfers are with me on this. And then they come up, and they, they address the ball. Don't worry, I don't have a ball here for you guys that are right in the middle. Don't worry about that. They come up, and they address the ball, and then they proceed with their shot. And you see it's in that setup where the whole thing happens. The shot is just muscle memory. The shot is just for pros, not for guys like me, but for pros, it's thousands of shots a week on the driving range that actually produces the shot. But when it really happens is those few seconds or minutes that they're standing behind the ball getting ready to address the ball. It's in the setup where the alignment is determined. And see, a golfer understands that his shoulders, his or her shoulders and his or her hips and knees and feet all have to be in alignment with the ball, but it also has to be in alignment with the target to have a good shot. And I'll tell you from very personal experience that one inch of misalignment results in yards and yards and yards of a mishit. Am I right, y'all who play golf? It's true, isn't it? I was playing golf with my buddy this summer, Brian, my best, best friend, and 
I introduced him to golf when I was in high school, and now he beats me on the golf course, so that's fun. Uh, anyway, so we were playing, and I was slicing the ball to the right, hitting it way uh, to the right. And uh, I remember being frustrated, and as, the, as uh, the round of golf went on, you know, I was like, man, how do, I don't really slice it all that much. Usually I've got a little bit of a draw, and I like having that draw, which means it comes in to the left. And he, he kind of laughed a little bit. I thought he was laughing at me, but he wasn't. He uh, stood behind me on the next tee box, and sure enough, I hit a ball to the right. And he goes, Todd. He goes, it's not your swing. He goes, you're lined up to the right. You're hitting it straight out to the right. Sure enough, I made some corrections in my alignment, in my setup. And I started hitting right down the middle. Today, what I want to look at is this whole idea of alignment. Because the fact is, is that like when we want what we want and we don't get it, the result is this huge tension. And listen, there's always going to be a tension to be managed between what we want and reality, right? That's always going to be the case. There's always going to be this tension between like our desires and what we have for life or what we have maybe for our kids' life or what we have for our homes or our investments or our futures, there's always going to be this tension that's got to be managed between, between what we want and what actually happens. Even if we get this right, what we're about to talk about, there's still going to be that tension to be managed. But I'll tell you this. If we work on these three things, especially for those of you who are Christ followers who are Christians in here today, if we focus on these three things, we will be in a position to respond in a way that's much more honoring to God than maybe we do right now. You see, when reality is not enough, first and foremost, I think we need to check our motives because when reality is not enough for us, our motives are, are probably rooted in something other than a God-centered lifestyle. When reality is not enough, when what life gives us is not enough, I think we need to check our motives because I believe that probably in our alignment, maybe if we were to check those motives, we'd realize that our motive in whatever that expectation is, is self-serving and self-consumed and all about us. And if you're here today and you're frustrated with the outcome of whatever it is, and we're going to be talking about specific things that we get frustrated with over these next few weeks, but whatever it is in your life today, stop, take a step back, reset, and check your alignment. Check your motives. Are your motives rooted in something other than a God-centered lifestyle. And look, here's the deal. Like, as golfers, one of the things that um, we are really good at is excuses. <laughs> Those of you who are golfers, we wrote the book on excuses, didn't we? It's like there's a little bit of a breeze today. I'm hitting the ball to the right. There was an earthquake in China, and I think my ball here on Hilton Head moved, and it was the earthquake that caused me to mishit that shot. Somebody was talking in the background or back off their porch, please don't talk while I'm hitting the ball because you're at fault for my mishit. It's raining and thundering outside and I can't hold the club, all right? So that's a pretty good excuse right there. But we're the masters of the excuse, but we do that in life as well. When anything that we have doesn't meet our expectation, our natural tendency, church, is to look outside and to blame something or someone else, isn't it? That's our natural tendency. 
She didn't do what she said that she was going to do. She's the reason that my life stinks right now. I had an expectation on that person that they were going to complete that project in my business. And because they didn't, everything has been thrown off. My whole plan has been messed up. And it's their fault. Something happened in our community, and because of that, I'm left holding the bag. And our tendency is to look everywhere but where? Here first. We look at everything and everyone else when reality is not enough. And my challenge to us this morning, my challenge to myself and to you, students, if you're in here today and you're getting ready to go to college, if you guys are preparing for the future, if you're a young, young person, I hate it when I say young person. If you're a student in here, it makes me sound so old. Anyway, if you're a student in here and you're getting ready for the next phase of life, or if you're getting ready for a new chapter, this is some of the most important and future stuff that you can get right. When reality is not enough, we've got to look within first. Jesus talked about this, and I think he pressed the reset button on reality in Matthew 33 when he says this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I love how that verse is structured. It's so interesting how it's structured because I think what Jesus is doing here is I think he's driving at motive. He's asking us and he's telling us where our motive should be. It should not be all about us. It should be about his kingdom. And I know some of you are like, yeah, but I'm in business, Todd. It's different. I'm, I, I work at home. It's different for me. I'm not in the ministry. This verse wasn't written to me. And to people like me who are in the ministry only, it was written to us who are Christ followers. And he says, what's the first thing that we should pursue? Him. He should be our first priority. And if you're frustrated with the results that you're getting in life, I want to challenge you. The first thing to do is to step back. Take a look at your alignment and check your motives. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I love the way it's structured because what he's saying there is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That one's a little bit harder. And then he says this, and then all these things will be added unto you. And I believe what he's trying to tell us there is that essentially whatever it is, whatever the results of life are, when we seek him first, when we seek his righteousness first, then we will be pleased with Whatever happens, even if it doesn't meet our expectation on the surface, even if it doesn't make sense on the surface. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the hope of the righteous, it's talking once again about righteousness, brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Two verses that speak to our motive and speak of righteousness. Listen, I, I got to be honest with you. When I'm when I am in um, when I'm in that position of feeling discouraged, when I'm in that position of feeling a little bit irritated or frustrated or even depressed about how life is going, nine times out of ten, when I stop and really begin to get introspective about my life, I realize. 10 things that I'm not doing that are different in God's word. 
I'm not truly living my life according to God's word. I'm not truly pursuing his righteousness. And listen, if you're a Christ follower in here today, yeah, man, we are forgiven for everything that we've done in the past, everything that we're doing right now that's sinful, and everything that we're doing in the future. But there's something of his righteousness that he calls us to live by. Not to just check off on some rules, but because righteousness and his kingdom go hand in hand. The hope of the righteous brings joy. The product of the righteous is joy, he says. But those, the expectation of the wicked will perish. The prophet Micah tells the nation of Israel in Micah 6.8, he says this, he has told you, oh man, here's, here's the formula right here. What is good? What is righteousness? Some of you may ask. What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God? Man, whenever I'm in trouble and whenever I'm like, man, I, I've really got some stuff i got to clean up in my life to be the best God follower I can be, I look to that verse because there's the formula. He lays it out right there to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk with humility. That's resetting your alignment. And I love the Apostle Paul because in Romans 6, 7, and 8, he writes kind of the thesis on the Christian faith. It's like the pinnacle of everything that we believe in, right? And in Romans chapter 7, he reveals a little bit of his heart and he says, hey, these things, I struggle with these things. And listen, if the guy who wrote most of the New Testament struggled with some of these things, we're probably going to struggle with it too, and that's okay. He, he says, for I, I do not understand my own actions in verse 15 of Romans 7, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever been there before? Like, man, I know I shouldn't have done that. I know that I shouldn't have said that to that person or thought that thought or pursued that thing that I wanted because I don't really want it. Verse 16, he says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You ever feel like that sometime with God's word? Like, I, I know what righteousness is, but man, doing it is so much more difficult. And that's why alignment includes motive, but it also includes our goals. You see, secondly, reality is not enough when our goals are different than God's purpose. Reality is not enough when we are misaligned with our goals. You see, the motive is the why. The goals are the what. Your goals are going to define the expectations that you have out of life, whatever it is you're dealing with. And so the second lesson that we can learn is reality is not enough when our goals are different than God's purpose. Romans 8.28 says this. I love this verse, but it is the most often misquoted verse in all of Scripture. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what most people say, Christians included, is they'll say this. They'll say, it'll all work out. God will work it out for good. Listen, he's not going to work out for good something that's evil or sinful that we're actively involved with. 
but he is going to work out for good those of us who are trying to live in righteousness and live according to his purpose. Realignment. Realignment. Because just like that golf swing being just one inch off, when we have spiritual misalignment that's one inch off, it can be disastrous. It can be disastrous. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he says this in Proverbs 16.9. He says, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. I want you to be reminded today, if you're here and you are, are a Jesus follower, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you're striving to follow him, that he is the one that orders your steps, not you. <laughs> your part is doing the planning. Your part is writing down the goals. And he's the one who orders your steps. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that is still sovereign. Jeremiah put it this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And lastly, when reality is not enough, not only, I believe, are our motives rooted in something than an, other than a God-centered life, and not only are our goals different than God's purpose for us, but I think lastly, our dependence is on something other than God and his power in our lives. Now, if you haven't heard anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. Because this is probably the thing that in, in most cases we, we really, like this is the most easy alignment with God to correct. The others might be a little more difficult. But you see, if motive determines the why, and if our goals determine the what, this issue determines the how. And I would guess that most of you who are here today, and there's this huge gap between what you expected and, and, and what life has dealt you, and you're very frustrated with it, my guess is that you're depending on yourself. You're self-dependent and not God-dependent. For me, this is the first thing to go. This is the first area that I lose alignment on. And the Bible is so clear that those of us who have asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior, if we want to strive to do all the things that we just talked about, to live for his kingdom, to live with, with power and with righteousness, and to live um, understanding and knowing the plans, that we have to rely on him. Paul, once again, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that awesome? He says, for my power is made what? Perfect in weakness. Paul, this is Paul, the one who had this major change in his life. Before he met God on the road to Damascus, he was the one who was in charge of killing people like most of us in here, people who were Christians. He had great power. He had great authority. 
And he, because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was a completely changed person. And now he says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is God. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for you, for you Todd, for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then here's Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am, what's the next word? Content. Content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Can you imagine telling someone in the world who believes that everything that we do, we, we do in and of our own power? Can you imagine telling someone who's been to all the Tony Robbins conferences in the world and you can do it, comes from within, and Oprah Winfrey, you know, all this stuff. Sorry if you like Oprah. I, I like both of those folks too. But man, they don't get it. Because, and I miss it sometimes too, because it's when we are weak, when Christ's power can make us strong. And man, that's really, really, really good news, isn't it, church? That's the kind of news that can get us back in alignment with who God is and what he's done. Many of you know I'm still finishing up seminary. I'm on the lifetime plan at seminary. And uh, I was down in Jacksonville this weekend and, uh, in a class, and we were talking about the fact that God's purpose, God has a purpose for all of, all of us. That his purpose is not exclusive for the minister, the missionary in Africa, the pastor who preaches God's word or helps people who are sick or in the hospital. God has a purpose for each of you, for each and every one of you. And we can only find that purpose when our motives and our goals and our dependency are all in alignment with who he is and what he has done. And my prayer, my hope, and my challenge, if you're frustrated today, you would step back off the ball and you would take a look and see where you're lined with God. And if you notice some misalignments, correct them. Because it'll be amazing what happens the next time that the tension between what we expect and what reality says exists. It'll be a completely different story in your life and in mine. Father God, I thank you so much for your word God, I thank you that you have a purpose for each one of us. God, that there's, no, there's nothing exclusive about you calling us to a certain thing. For someone who's here today and they're a student, God, you've called them to a purpose. You have a purpose for them. For someone who's here and they're a mom who stays at home or maybe even a dad who stays at home or someone who works from home, you have a purpose for them. 
For those who are in here who are Christian businessmen and women, or just businessmen and women, you have a purpose for them. You have a plan for them. God, I pray that you would help us to be reminded of that today. God, that you would help us to be reminded of that right now. And God, I pray for those who are gathered in this place who right now, the frustration in the difference between what we expected and what is actually happening is massive. And our reaction to it has been um, fear, anger, disappointment, maybe even depression or despair. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now that your Holy Spirit would lead them to have those chains broken, God. And Father, I pray that each one of us in this room would just step back for a moment, get introspective about our lives, especially at the beginning of this Christmas season. God, I pray that we would check our alignment. God, that we would ensure that our motives are pure, that our goals are in alignment with your purpose and that our reliance, our dependency, our source of power is not us, but God, I pray that it would be you. And God, I pray for those who may be in here and they've never put their faith in you. All of these things that they're hearing today may make a lot of sense from a logistical standpoint, but it doesn't make sense from a spiritual standpoint. And God, I pray that they today would put their faith in you. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, everything that we talked about, you can have access to right now, today, the Bible says. The moment, the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, you can have access to everything that we just talked about today. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. And I want to invite you to, to consider making Jesus your king, accepting him as your savior. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And today, if you don't know where you would go if you died, as soon as you walk out of this room, and you want to be absolutely sure that your long-term destination, your eternal destination is in heaven with God, I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. I want to invite you to pray it just silently in your heart. There's nothing magical about the words. The words are just a guide. It's just really the intent of your heart. And it's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for bringing me here today. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins, to rise again three days later. Right now, I receive you as my Savior. Help me now to live for you. Just in the quietness of this place, if you pray that prayer along with me today, I want to encourage you just to um, just raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. I promise you, I won't embarrass you or call you up or anything. I just want to see your hands. Would you raise your hand if you prayed that prayer along with me? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone else in this room? Father, I thank you for those who raised their hand this morning, God, who today exchanged just an ordinary life for an extraordinary life with you. And I pray your blessing on them. God, I pray that they would get rooted to you and to your word. 
God, in your church. And God, I pray that they would thrive in their relationship with you. Help all of us, Father, to find peace, to find joy in the midst of that disappointment in life. I pray this all in Jesus' name.